I'm going to now do the scripture reading, so please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26. We're continuing our sermon series through the Gospel of Matthew, so please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26. We're going to skip, uh, we're going to be doing a couple different sections dealing with the betrayal and denial of Jesus. We'll be skipping some sections that we'll return to. So Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 14. This is the word of the Lord. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him thirty pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he reclined at table with the twelve. As they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, he who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, betray him answered, Is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, You have said so. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. And let's skip forward to verse 47. We continue our scripture reading. Verse 47. While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you not, 
Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled, that it must be so? At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out as against a robber, with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Let's look to the final section, verse 69. So Matthew chapter 26, verse 69. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he began, and when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied it with an oath, I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Alex, for the reading of the scriptures. And thank you, Paul and the praise team, for leading us into worship. Uh, let's pray. Father, we are here now. Our hearts are open and our minds are ready to receive your word. I pray, Lord, that you would open up your word for those who need to know and hear from you. I pray that the Holy Spirit will do what only he can do as you open up your word to us. In Jesus' name, and all the people, 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 in presence, Satan. Have you ever been betrayed before by someone whom you trusted, someone close to you, someone you trusted to have your back, but they walked out on you or did you dirty? Have you ever been jolted by bad news on top of more bad news? and didn't have enough time to recover from the, the first bad news? Have you ever been strung out on overconfidence instead of depending on God to get you through it? Have you ever found yourself doing something you said that you would never do, making promises to the Lord and failing to keep them? Anybody experienced failure before? All the disciples, all 12 of the disciples right here experience this. Remember this. King Jesus is in control no matter what happens. King Jesus is in control no matter what happens. As we continue our series through Matthew, now in chapter 26, the passion narrative leading up to Jesus' crucifixion opens our eyes to the heartbreak and heartache among Jesus' own followers. The chapter is the quintessential chapter of disciples failing. And yet, 
it shows us our inescapable need to trust and depend on Christ no matter what. There are several points throughout this narrative displaying Jesus. King Jesus is in control no matter what happens. Look at the first point here, the surprising twist after Jesus' anointing, verse 14 through 16. Then Judas, one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him thirty pieces of silver, and from that moment he sought an opportunity to betray him. This was a heinous crime against one who did him no harm at all. He did no wrong. Nor did Jesus ever mistreat Judas in any way. This was an inside job. One of the twelve. Judas had every intention now to do Jesus in. And after he makes a bargain, he waited like a skillful hunter for that opportunity to betray him. But my question is, why did he do it? Perhaps... Judas was disillusioned with the type of Messiah Jesus revealed himself to be. Maybe he wanted more of a political conquering Messiah. Probably he wanted, he was looking for a way to get some money out of all the years he's invested with Jesus. These motives may not be obvious to us, but what is clear from the text, Judas betrayed Jesus because of his own greed. Verse 15 Judas said to the Sanhedrin, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? You see, this was the complete opposite of everything that Jesus taught his disciples. What a stark contrast between Mary, who in a moment earlier lavishes everything upon Christ in one selfless act of worship and abandonment, and Judas who selfishly and maliciously looks for a way to make a profit off of Jesus by handing him over to the authorities. Imagine how disgusted Judas was when Mary wasted all that expensive anointing oil on Jesus. Matthew records that they were indignant when they could have sold it and made a huge sum of money from it. For Judas, the treasurer, this was a lost opportunity to make a profit, never mind anointing Jesus for his burial or taking care of the poor. No. Now Judas seizes an opportunity to betray the Son of Man for the equivalent of four months of wages, what the Old Testament deemed as the price of a Hebrew slave. Notice the entire section, verses 14 through 75, is bracketed by two of Jesus' disciples providing bookends. Both disciples consume the majority of these sections. It opens with talking about Judas who betrays Jesus, but it closes with a close-up of Peter's denial of Jesus. Sandwiched in between these two is the Lord's institution of Holy Communion his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus' arrest and betrayal, and the fleeing and denial of his own disciples, and Jesus' arraignment in the Sanhedrin court. This, this is significant because every time we see a list of the 12 disciples, Peter is always mentioned first, and Judas is always mentioned last. 
Peter was the leader among the 12. He was the group spokesperson. He was a part of Jesus' inner circle within the 12. And every time Judas is mentioned in the Synoptic Gospels, the narrator tags him as Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him, Christ. He is only mentioned one other time in Matthew chapter 10. Nothing else is mentioned about him up until this point in the narrative when he becomes a major figure. <laughs> in some ways, Judas was an insider playing, an outsider playing an insider role. He played his card so well, as we will see, that no one among the disciples really knew who he was on the inside except Jesus. Judas never really embraced the kingdom of Christ. The greed and the betrayal of him took hold of him. But remember, King Jesus is in control no matter what. Verse 17 through 19, when his disciples came asking, where would you like to have the Passover? Verse 17, now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to him saying, where would you like us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus directed them, and they prepared the Passover. Interesting enough, as the disciples were gearing up to celebrate the annual slaying of the Passover lamb during the traditional feast, where they ate unleavened bread and lamb and bitter herbs for several days, Jesus, the Lamb of God, was getting ready to be slain for the sins of the entire world. The promised king was going to become the sacrificial lamb. You see, the Passover celebrated God redeeming Israel out of Egypt. It was just a sneak preview, a foreshadowing of God redeeming us from sin and his wrath through the blood of the Lamb. But these predictions did not sink in for the disciples. Look at Jesus' sovereign authority in making preparation for the Passover. He commands his disciples to go into the city to a certain man, and guess what? They go. He referred to himself as the teacher, and instead of waiting for an invitation, Jesus gives orders to the host. Every element of Jesus making preparation for the Passover shows that he is in full command. This is the Jesus that we follow. King Jesus is in charge no matter what happens. Then Jesus breaks some surprising news in a very intimate gathering, in an intimate setting. This moment when Jesus is breaking bread with his disciples participating in the Passover, as he draws his earthly ministry to a close, this becomes a night of scandal. Table talk suddenly becomes treacherous. Then Jesus breaks that intimate moment of sharing in the Passover meal with a statement that no one at the table was expecting. Look at verse 20 to 22. When it was evening, he reclined at table with the twelve, and as they were eating, he said, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. 
And they were very sorrowful and began to say to one another, Is it I, Lord? Can you hear Peter? Can you hear John? Can you hear James? Is it I, Lord? That intimate setting of table fellowship makes the betrayal all the more criminal. This intimate gathering taking place in a house in an upper room. See, table fellowship was so critically important for cultures of the Mediterranean in the first century that this cannot be overstated. Mealtimes were, were more than occasions for individuals coming together to break bread. Being welcomed at the table for the purpose of eating food with another person had become a ceremony richly symbolic of friendship, intimacy, and unity. Thus, portrayal or unfaithfulness toward anyone with whom you shared the meal at the table was viewed as particularly reprehensible. You see, that night at the table became scandalous. The quiet turned into unrest. Joy became discouragement. The disciples who were deeply connected to one another suddenly became disjointed, confused, and deeply saddened. Now, by plain observation, no one at the table made the assumption that, Judas, that it had to be Judas. No one pointed the finger at him. This is a very significant detail. Judas was such an expert in hypocrisy that no one seemed to distrust him. The bonds that these men shared with Christ and each other was remarkable. Of all the three and a half years that they did life together, there was not one hint that there was a snake in their midst. Who would have ever thought that it would have been Judas? The one who managed the finances for the twelve. If you could trust anybody in the group, certainly it would be a, a guy like Judas, right? Judas was naturally gifted in administration and eventually earned the trust of his companions. He was ambitious and very organized to the extent that he flew under the radar for three and a half years. If any of the disciples suspect that Judas was a snake, he would certainly not be holding the money bag. Well, no. And yet Jesus knew what kind of person Judas was from the inception of his ministry. And he never treated him any less than the other disciples. You see, Jesus chose him. In fact, Jesus spent all night in prayer to select his band of motley disciples. And Judas just happens to be one of them. On the exterior, he looked like one of the disciples. He followed consistently with everyone else. But his heart wasn't changed. <laughs> he was there, but he really wasn't there. I need you to hear me on this one. Underneath, he was selfish, greedy, and hypocritical. You see, these words of Christ were so piercing, the disciples instinctively began to doubt themselves. Jesus knows something about us that we don't know about us. One individual after another, starting with Peter, the leader, Lord, is it I? Or is it I, Lord? When we understand the gravity of our own sinfulness, 
We join with the disciples in solidarity. Is it I, Lord? For all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is not one righteous, no, not one. Had the disciples come to an understanding of their own sinful nature, that even betraying the Son of God was not beyond them? As morally upstanding these men were, Jeremiah chapter 17 tells us it's very clear that the heart is desperately wicked and above all things, who can know it? John reminds us of Jesus' x-ray vision of the human heart in John chapter 2, verses 23 through 24. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. And he needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Jesus, in full control of all the moving parts leading up to his death, answered them in verse 23. What did he say? He who had dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. And by the way, all of them dipped their hands in the dish with Jesus. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. By dipping his hand in that bowl of saucy, bitter herbs, the betrayer has shown himself to be a treacherous person indeed, rising against one with whom he shared the meal, violated the sacredness of vulnerability and friendship at the table. That's why this night was so scandalous, friends. The tragic story of Judas, although a sad one, reveals the tension between divine sovereignty and human responsibility. Yes, he had been chosen by Christ, and yet Judas, of his own will, betrayed Christ. I need you to hear this. The messianic prophecy of Psalm 41, verse 9, came true, and it says, Even my own friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread... Lifted up his heel against me. You see, Judas was even energized by Satan to commit his crime. John chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. And I guess you can say that Judas was one of those guys that would, that would say, the devil made me do it. Yet in reality, Judas was working in cooperation with the devil. Jesus even said in John chapter 7, verse 70, did not not chose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil. He was speaking of Judas Iscariot. Wow. And yet Judas is the tension. Divine sovereignty and human responsibility. Judas in no sense was coerced in doing what he did. He was influenced, not coerced. He acted freely of his own will without external compulsion. 
as hard as it may sound, he actually wanted to betray Christ just as Satan wanted to betray Christ. By implication, he is saying, Jesus is saying in verse 24, Judas is fully responsible for his own actions. The sad outcome of Judas' fate we'll see in chapter 27. But notice here, Judas <laughs> is the last disciple to speak up when Jesus pronounced a traitor is in the midst. He remained silent until everyone else had spoken, which was a sign of his reluctance. He knew he was guilty. We also noticed that all 11 disciples asked the question, is it I, Lord, except Judas? Notice what it says here. No, Judas simply said, he asked the question, is it I, Rabbi, indicating his spiritual condition? <laughs> wow. Judas, who faithfully followed Jesus, went everywhere that Jesus went, preached the gospel, exercised authority over demons. And yet Jesus was only rabbi to him, not Lord. You see, he may have been a fan of Jesus for three and a half years, but he certainly was not a follower of him. I need you to hear this. Jesus is no more than rabbi to many people today, including people inside the church. Not this church, but the church down the street. Yeah, he's a good moral teacher. He's a great prophet, but certainly not Lord of their lives. And definitely not king who's in control no matter what. This is why Jesus said, let the wheat grow up with the tares. And he will separate them at the end. This is why Jesus says he will separate the sheep from the goats. And that there will be people on that last day who will say, Lord, Lord. But they really don't mean it. There is no fruit of repentance. There is no change of direction from self to Christ. No. They are Christian in name only, but no inner transformation as a result of knowing Christ as Lord and Savior. And friend, if that is you, this is an opportunity for you to repent and surrender your life to Christ, to trust in him right now and not wait. But what an introduction, right, to the Lord's Supper. Could you, imagine, could you imagine the awkwardness and uneasiness that they felt as they were sitting there at the table breaking bread and drinking wine? That there was an airiness in the atmosphere. Jesus' statement of indictment on the betrayer and their miss didn't stop the Passover. There was no break for these guys to regroup. No, Jesus just kept moving forward with the sacred meal. How hard was it for them to eat with a snake in their midst? The only way for us to get through betrayal and disappointment and heartache from people that are close to us, from people who hurt us, is by looking to Christ, the author and finisher of our faith, Hebrews chapter 12. Leonardo da Vinci, just before he commenced his work on the Last Supper, had a violent argument with a fellow painter. Leonardo was so bitter that he determined 
that he was going to paint the face of his enemy, the other artist, into the face of Judas to take his revenge by handing the man down in infamy and scorn for succeeding generations. The face of Judas was, therefore, one of the first he finished. And everyone could easily see and recognize that this was the face of the painter with whom he had quarreled. But when he came to paint the face of Christ, he could make no progress. Something seemed to baffle him, holding him back frustrating his best efforts. And finally, he came to the conclusion that the thing that was frustrating him the most was that he had painted the face of that painter into the face of Judas. So he painted out that face and painted the face of Judas. And then he was able to resume his work on painting the face of Christ. And he did it this time with success. You see, when da Vinci moved past his right to take revenge and made the right response instead, he broke the power of hatred and allowed the love of Christ to have the final word. Are you looking to Jesus? For he's in control no matter what. Verse 26, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it, gave it to the disciples and they said, take, eat. This is my body. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day that I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. King Jesus is in control of our salvation from start to finish. And this is why we celebrate the Lord's table as we will hear preached next Sunday by Pastor Tim. Let me simply say here that the blood covenant that Jesus is about to enact on the cross cannot be broken under any circumstances, no matter what. No matter how dark things become. That's why the Scripture says, that even when my heart condemns me, God is greater than my heart. This point needs to be remembered by Jesus' disciples in light of what he's about to tell them after they sing a hymn. King Jesus is in control. Just worship no matter what's going on around you. Verse 30, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, now, we don't know what hymn they sung from the Old Testament. We could surmise what it was. Nor do we know what Jesus' voice sounded like when he was singing. Yes, Jesus sung. But what we do know is that Jesus and his disciples were singing in unsettling circumstances. Anybody singing in this pandemic right now? Anybody singing in the midst of this Social and racial unrest right now. There's something about singing in the midst of unsettling circumstances. King Jesus is in control. Just worship him. King Jesus is in control. Mark his words. 
I don't care, I don't care how big and bad you think you are, Peter. He knows you better than you know yourself. That's good theology. This indeed was a difficult time for the disciples. They just got finished singing a hymn. They were still dealing with the visceral impact of having a traitor in their midst. And now Jesus breaks more bad news, more unsettling news. Verse 31, then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. Wow. I can imagine that hit them like a ton of bricks. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, though all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times that you ever know me. <laughs> Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Now, Jesus said this not to condemn his disciples, but to show them that he is the one that's really in command of the situation and to demonstrate that the Scriptures regarding the suffering of the Messiah must be fulfilled. But Peter stubbornly refuses to accept Jesus' words. He resolved, though all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Peter is essentially saying, I hear you, Jesus, but I'm not one of them. What is happening here? Peter had really a ride-or-die commitment to follow Christ. He had a remarkable devotion in following Christ. Peter was like thinking to himself, man, I'm going to ride with Jesus until my wheels fall off. And yet Peter suffered from overconfidence in his own abilities. Even devotion to Christ requires complete dependence on Christ. <laughs> wow. Not only does he contradict his Lord in Matthew chapter 16 when he tried to rebuke Jesus for declaring his mission to the cross, but he makes himself out to be more loyal than his fellow disciples. Wow thinking Jesus couldn't possibly be talking about me. <laughs> and instead of asking Jesus for help in the coming crisis, he leans to his own self-sufficiency. Peter was rather impetuous at times. And he would put his foot in his mouth again and again and again, and he does it again. Verse 35, Peter insisted to Jesus, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. He was overestimating himself. And all the disciples said the same. You see, the rest of the disciples joined Peter in protest. They were sincere that they would not fall away, but Jesus knew them better than they know themselves. For their spirits are willing, but their flesh is weak. 
What Pete and the other disciples fail to realize is that their failure to live up to their expectations is not a surprise to King Jesus, who sovereignly writes it into the narrative. Jesus knew Judas would betray him. He knew his disciples would deny and abandon him, so he preps them. All of us experience failure from one degree to another. Can we be honest? This is where Jesus comes in. Time would fail me if I had to go through all the stories of many individuals throughout biblical history who fell miserably. Failure is an inescapable reality because we live in a broken world full of sin. But let me remind you, it's not about the failure. It's about what you do with it when it happens. What do you do afterwards? How many of us will, will make the same declaration to Jesus? Jesus, I will never fill in the blank. How many of us done that before? Been there, done that, got the T-shirt, right? Even with the best of intentions, we fail to live up to God's holy standards. This is where the gospel comes into play. This is why we all desperately need Jesus and the gospel every second and minute of the hour. Okay, I need Jesus and the gospel every second and minute of the hour. Romans chapter 5, for God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were still in sin, Christ died for us. Listen to this. Half of all drownings happens to adults and kids who can swim. Who can swim. Peter, don't overestimate yourself. Any Peters out there? King Jesus is in control, mark his words. I don't care how big and bad you think you are. He knows you better than you know yourself, Peter. Trust Christ in his words. Despite the failure that these men encountered, we find hope in verse 32. Jesus said, but after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Jesus already was looking beyond the cross. His eyes were set on the joy that was before him. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. You see, Jesus promises and visions their restoration from being scattered after he rises from the dead. Jesus indicates to his followers that you're going to fail miserably, but this is not your fatality. I'm going to reverse the scattering of my sheep. I'm going to completely restore you. I have a missional calling and future for you. And of course, these words really didn't sink in yet. Not at the moment. King Jesus is in control. Mark his words. King Jesus is in control. Mark the direction he takes when his betrayer is at hand. Verse 45b, Jesus said, see, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Jesus was not saying, let's get out of here. When Jesus says, rise, let us go, Jesus was rising up to go meet Judas head on in complete control of all events. Verse 47, now while he was still speaking, 
Judas came in that intimate place in that garden of Gethsemane. The Scripture says, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given him a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man, seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. One cannot help but to be struck by the sad irony of this verse. Judas is introduced not as the traitor, nor as an enemy or a stranger, no. He is introduced as one of the twelve. Do you see that? Judas said, greetings, Rabbi, indicating his lack of real intimate relationship with Jesus. And then he kissed him. Disciples often greeted their rabbis with a kiss as a sign of intimacy and respect. It was heinous, a heinous act for Judas to kiss Jesus in this moment. This was a kiss of betrayal. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Jesus said to him, friend, do what you came to do. And they came and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. Look at the irony of this. Jesus did not call him traitor, nor did he call him enemy. He called him friend. Jesus is not being sarcastic here. He's looking beyond the animosity in compassion and calling Judas friend. It was Max Licato who said that betray is, the word is an eighth of an inch above betroth in the dictionary. But a world from betroth in life. It is a weapon found only in the hands of one you love. Your enemy has no such tool. For only a friend can betray. Betrayal is mutiny. It is a violation of a trust, an inside job. Mikado adds that betrayal is more than rejection. Rejection opens the wound. Betrayal pours the salt. Loneliness is more than loneliness. Loneliness leaves you in the cold. Betrayal closes the door. It's more than mockery. Mockery plunges the knife. Betrayal twists it. It's more than an insult. Insult attacks your pride. Betrayal breaks your heart. But aren't you glad that even when we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Jesus did not take the time to dog out Judas. He said, friend, do what you came to do. King Jesus is in absolute control. He doesn't need the protection of his disciples. Look at verse 51 through 54. And behold, one of those who was with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father? And he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then 
should the Scriptures be fulfilled, that it must be so. Peter stepped forward in Jesus' defense, willing to lay down his life for Christ that night. He impetuously runs into action to defend his king, not realizing that King Jesus doesn't need him to defend him. He is in full charge of the board and already has everyone in checkmate. Seriously, did Peter really think he could take down a mob with a sword? One sword? One man? He was surrounded by hundreds of Roman soldiers armed to the teeth. Peter's the kind of guy who runs into action without thinking about the consequences. He steps up to fight for Jesus, but can't even stay awake for prayer meeting, not even for one hour. See, Peter was, was gangster in that moment when he did what he did, but Jesus is in charge. King Jesus doesn't need the protection of his disciples. They need his protection. King Jesus is in absolute control. He doesn't need the protection of his angelic hosts. Look at 53 through 54. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father, and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the Scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? Listen, Jesus had an army at his birth. He had angels present at his temptation with Satan in the wilderness. And now if he wanted to, he could command 12 legions of angels ready, waiting in the wing. I had to do some research on the legion. One Roman legion at full strength had 6,000 soldiers. So you do the math. So imagine Jesus had 72,000 angels at his beck and command within seconds. That number is impressive, especially considering that one angel killed up to, killed up to 185,000 soldiers in one night. 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 35. I got very excited when I heard how many angels Jesus had access to at his beck and command if he wanted to, but he didn't. In essence, Jesus was saying, you don't really know who you're messing with. At the moment, Jesus could have used his superpower, but he doesn't because his kingdom is not of his world, and he must fulfill Scripture by going through the cross to conquer sin and reign over humanity through his death and resurrection, not through an army. Jesus is in full command of every situation we encounter in life, no matter what happens. He knows how scared the mob was, and he calls them out on it, verse 55 through 56. That hour, Jesus said to the crowds, have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Could you imagine what the disciples were thinking about during that time when Jesus said that? It says, then all the disciples left him and fled. Listen. 
when the disciples saw that there was no way for them to escape, it was no longer possible, they bounced. Just as Jesus predicted, because he's in control. Jesus keeps coming back to this statement throughout Matthew. All this has happened to do what? Fulfill Scripture. The religious leaders rejected him? Check. His own disciple Judas Iscariot betrayed him? Check. His own, Peter, his own disciple Peter denied him? Did he ever knew him three times? Check. An angry mob comes up against him to arrest him? Check. The Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified? Check. At every juncture of this drama leading up to his crucifixion, Jesus is in full command. Are you hearing me? And as the narrative shifts, focus back on Peter, who follows Jesus at a distance. Verse 58. And Peter was following him at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. The fact that Peter was warming himself by the enemy's fire, a detail that John picks up in chapter 18, indicates how defeated he was. And yet Peter was stubborn. He was convinced that he would not give up no matter what. I'm not going to betray my Lord. I'm going to follow him to the death. But he failed to realize that Jesus is in control. And while he was sitting in the place of defeat, we find him humiliated by two servant girls. Verse 69, now Peter was sitting outside the court, in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, you also were with Jesus the Galilean. Verse 70, but he denied it before them all. Wow. I do not know what you mean. Wait a minute, Peter, the leader of the pack, whom Jesus saved on the deep blue sea, the one who obeyed Christ's words to let down his net and caught so much fish that he had to call his boys, that the nets began to break and the boats began to sink, forcing him to his knees in repentance exposing him to the overwhelming holiness of Christ, crying out, Lord, depart from me. I am a sinful man. The one who followed Christ's call to become a fisher of men is now declaring, I don't know what you mean. Wow. Verse 71. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him and said to the bystanders, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Look, he's right there. You can imagine what's going through Peter's mind right now. Peter's probably getting sick of these servant girls trying to dime him out. But how is he going to hide in the enemy's camp? When he was the one who cut off the ear of the servant of the high priest. I know it was dark outside, but somebody had to recognize that it was Peter that did that. Verse 72, and again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. Whoa. This is Peter, who confessed Christ to be the son of the living God, who witnessed the very glory of Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration as the Father spoke to the Son 
about his mission to the cross, who among the intimates witnessed Jesus raising up Jairus' daughter from the dead, who moments earlier took out his sword and sliced off the ear of the servant of the high priest in defense of Christ, and even declared to Christ to his face, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. I won't disown you. And now he is saying, I don't know the man. I don't know the man. Wow. 73, verse 73. And after a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you're one of them, for your accent betrays you. Oh, no, Peter. You're caught now, man. Peter's messed up on the inside. And Peter invokes a curse on himself and swears, I do not know the man. This time, Peter was emphatic. Imagine that. The guy who challenged his fears when the disciples were shivering in the boat, battered by the storms. Peter calls out to the Lord, Lord, if that is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus says to him, come. And Peter stepped out of the boat, defying the very laws of nature, and started walking toward Jesus. But notice Peter failed in that moment too, because he took his eyes off of Christ and began to focus it on the circumstances around him. Sounds familiar? Waiting and wanting to preserve his life, he ends up denying Christ. And immediately, the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times that you ever knew me. And he went out and wept bitterly. Suddenly, Peter remembered Christ's piercing words. It struck him like a dagger in his heart. It blew the wind out of his sails. <sighs> Bold Peter suddenly broke down in tears, no longer leaning on his own self-sufficiency. See, the words of Christ sunk in. King Jesus is in control no matter what happens. Mark his words, Peter. Peter fell. We fell too at times. However, Peter was not a failure, and neither are we if we learn and grow and do all for the glory of God through Jesus Christ. Because apart from him, we don't stand a chance. You see, this story does not end with bitter tears. This story of betrayal has a happy ending. It has a joyful ending. After Jesus resurrected, he was with his disciples having breakfast on the shore. And he took time to restore Peter's love and all the other disciples. And after Peter is restored and empowered by the Holy Spirit, the Lord used him mightily. Peter, who was a mess, became the greatest preacher among the apostles and in every sense a major figure in the first 12 chapters of Acts where the church was born. The Lord allowed Peter to go through this experience for a reason, just like he allows us to go through experiences for a reason. But just know this, that King Jesus 
is in control from start to finish, no matter what happens, no matter what failures you encounter, turn your eyes toward Christ. Father, we thank you and we pray that these words will penetrate the depths of our hearts and bring fruit to your glory as we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.